Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. So glad that you are here. And tonight, I want to preach to you guys a sermon entitled, Cut It. I'm getting right into it tonight, okay? I'm just going to go right into it, okay? So cut it. Turn to somebody and say, cut it. Do we have anybody else in here that grew up being a pastor's kid? Nobody? Just me? Okay. All right there. I see you, Deidre. Okay, Matt grew up being a pastor's kid. Okay, so you guys can kind of relate to me, right? See, I, I don't know how to really explain it to everybody else in here. It's some of those things that you just have to experience yourself to kind of understand what it's like being a pastor's kid, being a pastor's family, too. I would compare it to being kind of like a fish in a fishbowl. Like, everybody can see us, you know, because I think everybody in the church almost knows where our house is, too. <laughs> and it's really easy just to, you know, kind of see what we have going on and just look into our life. And I, one thing I've always learned is people are always watching you. People are always watching our family. They're seeing what I post on social media. They're seeing the words that come out of my mouth. They're, they're seeing how I respond to a situation. They're seeing what I do on a regular day-to-day basis. And I have no problem with that. You know, I, I'm cool with doing that because I believe that I should be the example. I believe that being a leader is leading by action and being an example to other people. That's what it's all about. And that's what I believe each and every one of us should do as Christians. But there's another persona that people like to throw on you because they like to have standards and expectations about how you should dress, what you should do whenever you grow up. But, you know, some PKs got a bad rap. Some people think PKs are the worst, most rebellious kids. I know some of you may have met some. I've met some. I'm friends with some other PKs. You know, maybe they don't do all the right things. But one thing I've learned is God loves each and every one of us the exact same way. And funny story, um, me and my sister Haley, who's also a PK, obviously, we went out to eat one day, right? And we were with a group of people, and they were just kind of talking to us, and we were talking to them, and I don't know how we got on the subject of relationships. And take in mind, you know, one of the people sitting at the table was not saved. They didn't go to church. I don't even know if they believed in God. But they said, you know who I love dating? Pastor's daughters. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because they're crazy. You know, they don't play. They started saying all this stuff. He had no idea that we were pastor's kids. And my sister that was sitting right next to me was the pastor. Thank God. You know, we're not like that. I mean, you can look at me and my family. We have nothing to hide. You know, I thank God that God's kept us and God's, you know, just saved us. But it was awkward in that moment, especially for my sister. And yes, I've always loved God. I've been a PK. I'm 19 years old right now. But pretty much my whole life, I've been a PK, just about. And I love God. And I do my best to be that example that God has called me to be. But I would be lying. You ready? If I said I've always stayed on track. I would be lying if I've never, if I said I've never gotten off course before. Because I remember being in high school, and I know you guys have all probably been to school, and you get surrounded by a lot of other people who probably don't believe the same things that you believe or have the same morals that you have in life and the same values. Especially at work, I know some of you guys may know some people, but you start to hear a little bit about what they've done this past weekend at this party or all these different crazy stories, and you say to yourself, I kind of feel like I'm missing out. And that may be some insecurity, which it is, 
But I'll be lying if I said I've never felt like that before. Where somebody was talking, and I overheard them. I was like, man, you know, what, I wonder what it's like. You know, just going to go do that thing or go do this. I'm being real tonight. I'm being really transparent. Don't, talk, don't act like you've never thought the same thing before. But I remember being in a situation like that and thinking to myself, man, you know, why am I so different? And there were a couple times where I would actually go, and I'm sharing my testimony, where I would actually go and try to hang out with the wrong crowd, where I would try to go do the thing I felt like, you know, I knew that I wasn't supposed to do. It kind of felt like, Paul, like you know good and bad, and you want to do good, but then you, you just do bad. And I would go and try to do, you know, a bad thing, hanging out with the wrong crowd, but it's like every single time, no lie, it felt like God just said, nope, whoop, get back over there. You know, if there was one person that was bad at being bad, that's this guy right here. <laughs> I was not good at being bad. I was bad at being bad. And I felt like there was a force field around me, like literally. Like I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to meet you guys. So let's go do this. And just like things fell through. Things didn't happen. I was like, those people broke their phone. I'm like, what? And my mom and dad know this. You know, I'm, they know about me and they know my story and everything like that. But now that I look back, I realized what, that God's hand was over my life. And mom and dad, I just want to say tonight, I, I love you guys so much. And thank you for praying for me. Thank you for just speaking life over me. Because I would not be up here tonight preaching the word of God and the gospel to people. Now I look back, I know what, it was, what was happening all along. It was my parents praying for me. It was a church family. And I get really emotional. I cry really easy, Okay. It was, it, was a, it was a church that was praying for me. It was people that were supporting me. And most importantly, it was a heavenly father that loved me so much. And no matter what I've done, no matter what I try to do, God is still saying, I love you so much. And no matter how far I go, I know I can always come back to the, to the cross where Jesus Christ died for me and received forgiveness. Do we have any people in here tonight are thankful for the love of God? Because here's one thing I've learned. Even whenever we are bad, God is still good. And he kept me. He kept my heart pure. He knew I would be up here today speaking to somebody. I don't know who I'm speaking to tonight. And words can't describe the gratitude and the way I feel for every prayer and every encouraging word spoken into my life. People here tonight, you, you know who you are. Thank you so much for every prayer. And I want to say this tonight. Some of us are here. Some of you guys are here because you had a praying mother you, you had a praying father. You, you had praying grandparents. Or you had somebody else praying for you. And I'm, getting, I'm about to get into the word of God, but I just felt like I need to share this tonight. Let me encourage you tonight by first saying, I'm a living testimony for this. Prayer works. <laughs> he hears every word you pray over your children. Whether they're not even born yet, he hears every prayer. He hears every cry, even for your grandchildren. He hears every prayer. He hears every word. He sees every tear. And God is faithful. And even if things go wrong, even whenever you see somebody go somewhere where you didn't even think they would go or a situation turns out a way you never even thought it would turn out, God has a beautiful way of turning things around for your good. Does anybody love God? How many of you are thankful and just praise God? It's like, God, you've done so much for me. And that's how I feel tonight. And... If I'm honest, going back to my story, if I had to describe it, it felt like I was kind of contained. It felt like I was kind of just 
put in a box, just like, you know, getting protected. I understand. I'm thankful for all that. But it felt like I was being contained. Does anybody know what it's like to feel contained? Feel like, you know, some things aren't happening, you know, in your life. Things that you try to do, they just kind of don't happen. Or, you know, you, you think things are going to go a certain way and they go a completely different way. And you kind of just feel like you're on hold and you're just kind of contained. I realize now that I look back that God wasn't containing me, but he was sustaining me. There's a difference. Could it be tonight that God hasn't allowed some people into your life, relationships, things, opportunities in your life to work out? Not so that he's just going to contain you, but so he can sustain you. That means strengthen. That means prepare He's not just trying to contain you. He's preparing you. We know that God has plans for us, plans for a hope and a future, plans to prosper us, not to harm us. I'm going to say tonight, don't look at it as if you're being contained. Look at it as if you're being sustained. It's all about perspective. Turn to somebody and say, it's, con- it's not containment. It's sustainment. And, you know, my story kind of reminds me of... Um, the story of Samson. Some of you guys may remember the story of Samson in the Bible. The guy who was swole, you know, that just killed tons of people, the kind of Philistines, and just did all different kind of crazy things. And that's what we're we'll talking about tonight. We're we'll talking about the story of Samson in the Bible. And I want us to take a look at his life and see why God chooses to contain us at times and why we have to cut things off in order for us to reach our destiny. See, Samson was a Nazarite, and what that means is he was set apart. He, he was different. Whenever he was born, he, God told his parents, he said, you know, set this boy apart. He's going to do things a certain way. Here's a couple things that he had to do to remain a Nazarite. He had to abstain from wine, wine vinegar, grapes, raisins, intoxicating liquors, Vinegar made from such substances and eating or drinking any substance that contains any trace of grapes. Isn't that kind of weird, right? And he had to refrain from cutting the hair on one's head. He had to refrain from cutting his hair, but to allow the locks of his head, head's hair to grow. He had to let his hair grow. And that to become ritually impure, impure by contact with corpses or graves even those of family members. And here's a little bit of context. We're about to get into the Word of God. I'm going to be reading out of the book of Judges, chapter 13, verse 2 through 5. I'm reading out of NLT, so if you want to go ahead and go there, if you want to take notes tonight, feel free to take notes. So to give you guys a little bit of context about where we're looking or what's happening in this specific scripture, Israel had sinned again, like always. They had messed up, which Israel was God's chosen people. And because they have messed up and they were doing evil, they were doing wrong, God had said, you're going to be in captivity. You're going to be oppressed by the Philistines for 40 years. That's your consequence. Because back then they were underneath the law, which is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You, you, you pretty much receive what you, what you deserve because we deserve death. We don't deserve grace. We don't deserve forgiveness. But Jesus Christ died for us. Now we're underneath grace. How many of you are thankful for that? So I'm going to be reading out the scripture right now. And it says, In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to, come, be, to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, 
Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic uh, drink, nor eat any uh, any forbidden food. Got tongue twisted. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue the Israel nation from the Philistines. And if you go on further, we're going to be reading out the book of Judges, chapter 16, 15 through 19 now. And what happened between this scripture and the next scripture is Samson gets bigger, he grows up, and he develops a bad habit. You know, my parents have always told me, Caleb, you got great things going for you. The only thing, and my pastors told me, just never get with the wrong girl. You know what I mean? Because, like, I've heard that uh, your spouse will determine 90% of your success in life, just something I've heard. So I've always been really careful. But they said, just be careful who you marry. Be careful for who you have a relationship with. And he develops a bad habit of getting into the wrong relationships with the wrong girls, Philistines, which is the ones that were oppressing the Israel nation. And then the, girl, the third girl he got with, because he didn't just go after one or two, he went after three, the third girl he got with was named Delilah. Some of y'all may know that name. So her name was Delilah. Doesn't that just sound so sweet and deceiving? <laughs> My name's Delilah. Get back, Satan. I'm just joking. So Judges chapter 16, verse 15 through 19, um, it says, Then Delilah pouted, How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you haven't told me what makes you strong. See, Samson was killing tons of Philistines. His whole purpose in life was to help the Israelites get out of oppression from the Philistine nation. And she was trying to find out why he was so strong so that way she could take him and deceive him. And she tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death. Have, has any of y'all spouses ever done that? Just like ask the same question again. I'm sick to death. I'm about to end it all right now. Please be quiet. I'm just joking. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized that he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine, Philistine rulers, come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. The Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah, I'm going to say this word wrong, lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. Then she, began, she called in a man to shave, or in other words, cut off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began she, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Turn to somebody and say, cut it. See, because what had happened was he had been deceived by a woman that he thought actually loved him, but she was just wanted to kill him. She, he, he, get, he trusted her. He, he was with her, and she... And he trusted her so much that he told her his secret of how he was so strong, how he was able to take on the Philistine army. And this is the downfall. This is what happened with Samson. This is why he fell in that moment. The downfall of Samson happened 
when he started to get involved with the wrong relationship. He was with someone who didn't have the same values, belief system, and morals he did, which robbed him of his devotion to God. The Nazarite vow and the anointing that God had placed on his life. He was blinded by her beauty, which caused a downward spiral. I believe that there are areas in our lives we must guard and be willing to cut off at times. I want to give you guys four areas in our lives that we must be aware of. Otherwise, the enemy can come, steal, kill, and destroy. Because unlike Samson, I don't want to let my guard down, whether it be in relationships or whatever it is. I'm going to give you guys four of these. So if you don't write these down, the first one is our minds. These are areas that the enemy is going to try to attack you at. So I want you guys to remember this, our minds. Did you know that sin always begins in your mind first? Sin always begins in your mind first. My dad's told me that thoughts are like a bird. They, they can come and rest in your head, but it's up to you whether or not that thought's going to stay or whether you're going to let it go. Totally up to you. Every single day a thought comes in your head. I understand thoughts are going to come into your head. A bad th thought may come in your head. That doesn't mean you sin. It's just whether or not you're amusing it. Does that make sense? Uh, something that I like to say is refuse to amuse. I refuse to amuse any thought that's not of God, that's not in alignment with his word, any fear, any depression, any lie. I refuse to amuse it, and I say, get out right now. That's one thing I've learned that's helped me out a lot. And the enemy can even sow suggestions and thoughts there to some extent. He can plant a little seed. He can try to put something in your mind, a lie. A thought may take the form of words or of a picture or, or the eternal, internal representation of some kind of feeling. Remember, it always begins in your mind. you got to guard your mind. And a lot of times, stuff comes in your mind by things that you look at. So you got to watch what you see. you got to watch what goes in your mind. The second thing is our hearts. If a person has been deceived by the enemy in their minds and persists in that deception or sin, then the habit builds and the door is now open for evil spirits. And it may sound weird to some of you guys, but this is, this is the real stuff right here. To fortify that sinful attitude or behavior pattern and form a stronghold or a bondage in our hearts. So we understand that first it comes as a thought, right? When an enemy tries to come in and then once you build upon that thought, it gets in your heart. And then what happens after it gets in your heart? We're going to get to the next one. Number three, our mouths. Your mouth. Say, so you watch your mouth. Yeah, you got to watch your mouth. So Jesus taught us that it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles man, but what comes out of your mouth. The things that we say, the things that we sing, these things defile a man. That's what God says. The things we speak can trigger the activity of spiritual power. When God's Spirit speaks through us, it brings blessings. How many of you are thankful? Have you ever been in a situation where things seemed hopeless, where you felt like you were going nowhere, and then all of a sudden you felt something come out? You say, in the name of Jesus, I declare right now, I have a hope, I have a future, I have a plan that you have before me, and you just feel encouraged. Sometimes, we are just revealing our own human spirit by the words that come out of your mouth. At other times when the evil in our hearts find, finds expression, 
curses are released. Yes, even Christians can effectively release curses. That's just what it is, right? I mean, we believe a lot of other things. We believe that Noah built the ark and that he had all the animals come and the whole earth flooded. Why is it so hard for us to believe that spirits can still, you know, move and do all these things today? Crazy stuff happened in the Bible. But your words have power. Your words have authority. So we have to understand first it comes through your mind, then it goes into your heart, and then it comes out of your mouth. That's how it works. And then the fourth thing, our relationships. This is a big one. And this is pretty big right here. Satan works to poison relationships between husbands and wives. You know what Satan means? Enemy. He's not your friend. He's not going to be your best buddy. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to ruin your life. You know, that's, that's what Satan's all about. He hates you. You know, he wanted to be God. Some of us may think, why does Satan hate me so much? I didn't do one thing to that man. He hates you because what's inside of you. He wanted to be God. He wanted to overthrow God, but he was cast out of heaven and sent to hell with him and his, the angels, one-third of them. So now whenever he sees us, we're made in his image, and he gets jealous saying, man, I wanted to be like that. See, if we understand the authority that we have as believers, that even Satan himself is scared of us, man, I'm telling you, we would rock this world. So relationships, I'm going back to this. <laughs> Satan works to poison relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents, employers and employees, business people, church people, church leaders, civic leaders, and leaders of nations. We must watch who we allow to influence us in our lives. Something I've heard somebody say is people are like elevators. They can either bring you up or they can bring you down. You got to watch the attitude of those around you. I don't know if you've ever been around a rotten attitude. Man, I'm going to tell you what, I can't stand being around a rotten attitude for too long because sometimes it rubs off on me. I got to surround myself with the, I got to surround myself with the people with the right attitude. That's why I love coming to church. Because I know if I come here, there's somebody here that's going to lift me up, that's going to encourage me, that's not going to speak negative words, not going to speak curses over my life. That's why I love coming to church. So people are like elevators. They can either take you up or they can take you down. You must watch who you hang around. Something I've also heard is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's nothing wrong with having friends with people that aren't saved. Some of my best friends in high school were drug dealers, you know, gangbangers. And they were some of my close friends. And guess what? They came to church too. I invited them to church. They said, bro, you want to write something? Yeah, man, let's do it. And I don't care if they didn't listen. I just, I was happy they were there. But here's the thing. I didn't let them influence me. I didn't let them rub off on me. Because my closest friends and some of the people I was close to with my family, and they lifted me up and they helped me, as well as my, as my church family. Those were my closest friends right there. So my first point tonight so we know the areas the enemy is going to try to attack you with. And sometimes we have to cut some things off. Sometimes we have to cut off some things. We have to cut off some spirits. We got to cut off some relationships. We got to cut off some opportunities. But first point tonight is God cuts to save. God cuts to save. Here's what I've learned. Sometimes 
God's blessings are not in what he gives, but what he takes away. See, I wonder what would happen to Samson if he said, no, Delilah, no, not today. You know, anybody know that song? No. He said, no, get back. You know, like, like Joseph, he's like, he fleed, Joseph fleed, Potiphar's wife. We don't know her name. We just call her Potiphar. Whenever she had come and tried to tempt Joseph, he's like, oh, you know, he ran away and he fleed from that situation. I wonder what would have happened in Samson's life if he had said, no, I, I can't do that. I got I to gotta cut you off. I, I can't allow that in my life. See, some of us have some Delilahs in our lives. I'm not just talking about people that are not will and that we're not willing to get rid of because it's something that we have become so accustomed to, something that we've become so used to that it's as if it's a part of you. And it may hurt, and some people may not understand it, but God always has something better in store whenever we cut those things off in our lives. If you can break the pattern once, you can do it again. Yes, See, sometimes we got to cut out relationships. We got to cut out words. We got to cut out thoughts and other things so God can make room for something better. See, I'm not just telling you to end that friendship with somebody. Maybe it's not the friendship. Maybe it's your mindset. Maybe it's the way you think. See, because it kind of all interlinks together, right? You got your thoughts. You got your heart. You got your mouth. Maybe it's your mouth. Maybe everything will be fine if you, had the, if you knew the right response. And I want to give you guys a scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 30. See, everything that God does, everything that he wants to cut off in our life, things that he wants to convict you of. He's always preparing you for something better. He wants to save you. Because here's one thing I've learned. The enemy, you know, miracles can happen. You know, people can go from deaf to hearing. They can go from blind eyes to open eyes. I believe God can do all those things. But honestly, that doesn't really shake the devil as much. What he's after is your soul. What he's after is your salvation. And I, I don't want the devil to play games with me because I'm not willing to cut some things out of my life. So it says right here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, it says, And if your hand, this is Jesus talking, and if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And that's a little extreme, Caleb. I don't like that, you know? Some of y'all may never heard that verse. I've heard that verse before, too. I don't know. Whenever I was little, I was like, oh, my gosh, Dad. Like, God wants me to cut off my hand if I sin? It's like, no, son. That's not what he means. I'm like, okay. Christ was merely using parts of the body to make an important point. He was showing that Christians should not tolerate sin as an integral part of their lives. If an individual has a sinful habit... We should, he should overcome it, even though the process may be as painful as the loss of an arm or loss of a leg. Christ is saying that is far better to forsake a sinful pleasure than to lose salvation. Does that make sense? Anybody catch that tonight? See, I would much rather lose a couple people than lose my soul. 
I would rather lose a couple bad habits than lose my soul. See, because one thing I've learned is sometimes in order for you to win, you have to know who to lose. You have to know what to lose. And dad can testify, that's what's been happening in this church for the past 10 years or so. God's been positioning people with the right spirits, or with the right attitudes, because attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? That's one thing I like to ask myself. So God's been positioning us for the past 10 years. He's been preparing us. He's been preparing this church. And some things may happen. And it's like, did that happen? Did this happen? You know, what, what's going on? God's preparing us. He's setting the right people in place so that way he can get this church going. And I'm so excited and I love the attitudes that I feel whenever I come to hear the worship team play and practice, whenever I see the media team doing their thing back there, whenever I see Covenant Kids, whenever I see the ushers, whenever I see all these different people, but it just didn't happen overnight. It took a little bit of time because God had to cut some things off so that way he can make room for better things. How many of you are thankful for the future here at Covenant? The best is yet to come, man. I'm so pumped up. I just felt like I needed to drip that in there. So how do we determine what we need to cut off. I want you to ask yourself this question. What do I need to cut off? I believe the first, I believe first we should look at God's word. Number one, always God's word. And then we ask the Holy Spirit, convict me. Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked God, say, God, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to live this life for you. You know, I just gave my, my life to you. But how do I do this? You say, God, you just have to be teachable. You say, God, convict me. God, what area in my life do I need to cut out? What, what bad habit do I need to cut out that's killing me on the inside? What do I need to do? And you can ask God that. And you can say, God, what, what's, what am I doing that's not pleasing to you? Because I'm going to remove it, Lord. Because, man, I'm telling you right now, nothing's worth your soul. Nothing. nothing. You can't put a price on that. You know, I've heard somebody say, how do you determine the value of something? It's, it's all about the price somebody's willing to pay do you know what was paid for your salvation? The son of Jesus. That means you're valuable, valuable, baby. That means there's a price on your head, man. I'm going to say that. Number two, Satan cuts to kill. Um, do we have anybody? I know this is a weird transition. Anybody in here was, is anybody in here ever in martial arts? Anybody ever played martial arts, some boxing or something like that? So one thing my dad's always wanted me to be as a fighter. He didn't really care about football too much. He doesn't really care about baseball as much. You know, we'll watch it. We'll go hang out. We'll go, you know, play a couple games, whatever. But he loves UFC. He loves boxing. My dad's a fighter, low-key. You know what I'm saying? Back in the day, I've heard stories. He was cray-cray, okay? So he's always wanted me to be a fighter. So I guess he thought if he just put me in karate, I was in karate, if he put me in jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, amen? If he put me in taekwondo, that I would become like the ultimate fighter or something. And guess what? I, play, I played all three of those. I played karate for about five months. Then I played, I played Brazilian jiu-jitsu for three months. And then I took two classes of taekwondo, so watch out. So I'm going to say, don't mess with me. In fact, I was so good that I got something to remember it all by. So, yeah, it feels so good to bring this thing on stage. I was forbidden to hold this thing like 10 years ago. 
So this is what I like to call my tiger sword. My tiger sword. Yeah, don't mess with me. It's not a knife, Dad. Be quiet, it's a sword. I'm going to take it off real quick. I don't want to cut myself. You see it on the news? Pastor cuts his neck on. Okay, that's not funny. So you want to guess how I got this sword? How did I get these scars? I got it after two months, two grueling months, hard months of selling cookie dough. I got in third place. First place was a samurai sword. Second place was, I don't know what kind of sword it was. Third place was this tiger sword. And you best believe I got it up here on stage today, baby. I hope it did not come myself. So I got this sword, and I was so excited. I feel like I have to walk like this. I was so excited. I finally got this samurai sword. Not samurai, tiger, tiger knife. That whenever I showed my parents, they freaked out. I mean, right? I want to say I was probably like nine years old. I don't know, maybe even younger. But I got this tiger sword, and I was like, How you, how'd you win that sword? I sold cookie dough. Ah, okay. You know? But my dad saw that, and he took it away from me. He's like, son, you know, look at it for a second, but I'm putting that thing up in my closet. You're not getting that until you're like 18 years old, until you're old enough. Okay? So he put it in his, he put it, he didn't tell me where he put it, but, you know, like any other kid, you know, I found out where it was, like somebody that's looking for presents where they're hidden around the house on Christmas Day or Christmas season. So I looked around, and I finally found it on the top shelf of his closet, okay? And he told me, do not go near that sword. Do not touch that sword. You know, you're going to cut yourself. You know, and I thought to myself, whatever, you know, I'm going to go get that sword. So I got it, and I brought it down. It looks so good. I mean, doesn't it look good? It looks really good. I, mean, I can't really bring it up. It looked good, right? It got the red jewels. It got the tigers on there, three tigers. It's all green. And I was like, I'm not going to come out. So I'm just going to take it out every once in a while, touch it, and then put it back up there. Nobody else is going to know. Okay? Um, long story short, not really long story, I cut myself. <laughs> I pulled it out, and I pulled it off, and, ah! you know, I, I cut myself. Yeah. And then now today I got it in my room in my closet up there. But man, it feels really good to have that right now. But yeah, I'm gonna leave this right. So, anyways, the point I'm trying to make, because I'm going somewhere, not just telling you a story about a sword that I had in my closet and everything like that. The story that I had was, you know, sin, some things that we have to cut out look really good, right? Some things look really appealing. Some things you kind of just it's so hard for you to stay away from those certain things, from that addiction, from that habit, from whatever it is. But I'm going to tell you tonight, just because it looks good and it feels good does not mean that it is good. Because our culture says if it feels good, you know, if it looks good, then you do it because it is good. That's not what the Word of God teaches. See, because some of the Biggest struggles in your life are going to be the hardest things to say no to. One of the hardest, and some of the biggest battles you're going to face are not going to be in public, but they're going to be in private when nobody else is around. And what I've learned is who I really am is me whenever I'm by myself. It's integrity. And 
this happened to Samson because Delilah looked so beautiful to him that he was willing to risk it all. He didn't care about the consequence. His his conscience was seared completely, and he was blinded by her beauty, literally, because his eyes got gouged out, I don't know if I say gouged out afterward after they took him. They gouged his eyes out. So he couldn't even see. They took his sight. And he eventually became numb to the feeling of living in sin. Did you know you can become numb to sin? You know, I remember, you know, just being a kid and you had some, I had something my mom and dad told me to do. And I used to have that conviction, I better not do this, I better not do it besides the sword thing. And it's especially, you know, what, what, what happens in our lives is, you know, we have a conviction in our heart. We have something that we know we're not supposed to do, but we do it once, and when we do it again, and we do it again, and each time you feel a little bit less regret, and you feel a little bit less, and then eventually it kind of becomes numb and his hair had been cut which he lost all of his strength due to his numbness see the scripture says satan has come to steal kill and destroy and here's an illustration i want to give you guys have you ever like burnt yourself on something like you burnt yourself on an iron you burnt yourself on a burner if you're you know cooking food or whatever it is and i'm like did you know that if you've left your hand on that burner for so long that Eventually, you'll become numb to it. That's exactly how sin can be. That's exactly, and now this is, a, this is a hard pill to swallow, but this is what sin, this is how sin works. And you know what God caused this? He caused this debauchery. See, conviction is found at the cross. And I have some good news for you guys tonight. God always provides a way out. No matter what the struggle is, no matter what the temptation is, no matter what you may be facing, you may say to yourself, I don't have a choice. I don't have anywhere to go. But just like Joseph, you can just get up and go. Sometimes it's as easy as saying no. Sometimes it's as easy as holding your mouth, holding your tongue. Sometimes it's as easy as, devil, not today. Get that thought out of my head. Sometimes it's as easy as just saying no. You always have a choice. And God always provides a way out. And here's, other, here's another great thing. God can use every bad thing that happens to you for your good. He can use it all for good. That's, that's a great thing. I don't know about you, but I think we should give God praise for that. And I want to prove this to you by reading the scripture out of Judges. So we talked about how Samson was eventually taken. And after this, Delilah got her money. She got her stuff to turn in Samson. And the Philistines had a big party, right? They had a big celebration where they, you know, sacrificed things to their gods, and they did all these things. So important to be equally yoked. I'm just going to say that because she didn't even believe in the same God that Samson believed in, lived his life for. And eventually had a party, and they said to themselves, let's bring Samson out, because this guy was like the Philistine killer. You know, this was the only, these, these people were scared of him, but now they were, he was like their slave. And they brought him out, and he, they asked him to amuse them. So I'm reading out of Judges chapter 16, verse 26 to 30. It says, Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. 
all the Philistine rulers were there, and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, he let me pay back. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands. And And he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had, than he had during his whole entire lifetime. That's pretty epic right there. He, said, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. Can you, man, can you imagine that? And even though Samson was disobedient unto God, God still used him. Because that was his purpose, to weaken the Philistine army. And God still used him. And here's a statement I want you all to hear tonight. If you remember one thing out of tonight's message, I want you guys to remember this. No matter how much good God can bring out of even the bad things, he can always bring far more good out of our obedience. And we ourselves experience much less pain. I don't know about you, but that's some good stuff right there. And I'm closing right now. It says Isaiah, I'm reading out of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, NLT. And I love this scripture right here. Kind of wraps everything up tonight that we talked about. But he, who's he? Jesus, was pierced, which means cut, for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. See, Jesus loved you. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That Jesus got cut. Jesus got hurt so that we may have life. He died and he paid the price. But praise God, he rose again. And whenever you face trials, whenever you face temptations, whenever you face things in life, Satan's going to say, look at your sin. I saw this on Facebook today. I thought it was powerful. But God's going to look right back at you, and he's going to say, look at my son. When you feel like life and Satan is cutting you up, go back to the cross. The Holy Spirit will convict you, but God will never condemn you. God will never condemn you. He's not going to tell you, I told you so. You know, you got yourself in there again. This is the thousandth time. He cares for you so much. Here's my conclusion right here. Anything you lose or miss out on by following Jesus isn't a loss. But it's actually a gain launching you into your destiny. I felt like some people tonight were questioning God. They were saying to themselves, you know, how come this is happening? How come, you know... This is going on. How come, you know, you're, I feel like I'm kind of being contained. I feel like you're kind of just holding me back. But the truth is, God is sustaining you. He's preparing you. He's equipping you. And he's saying to some of us tonight in our hearts, if we dig down deep enough, you know, 
some things in your life you got to cut off. The reason that you're at where you're at, the reason that God is containing you and sustaining you so that you can cut some things off so that way you can keep on moving forward. And my dad's always told me, I asked him, you know, God, Dad, how do you find conviction? How do you find conviction for things that other people may find conviction for? He said, you always go back to the cross. No matter how many times you fall, you go back to the cross. You pick yourself up and you keep on going. You pick yourself up and you keep on going. And you fight till the end. Because there is a, there's a heaven that God wants you to, for, for each and every one of us to experience together. That's why I love church, because we get to come together, we get to worship, we get to express ourselves, because it's going to be, this is kind of what heaven's going to be like, where we get to worship God. Be all the time, man. But can we pray real quick, and then I'm going to hand the mic over. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit, Father. I thank you right now, Jesus, that tonight, Lord, you, you spoke to some people tonight, Jesus. You, you, you spoke to some people in their hearts, God. You may be convicting people in a certain area, Lord. You may be encouraging people in an area, God, letting them know that you have not forgotten them, but you're actually sustaining them. You're strengthening them. You're preparing them, Jesus. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you'd begin to speak to every person, Lord God. Begin to speak to me, Lord God. Begin to deal with my heart, Jesus. God, I pray protection, Lord, over every person's mind that's in this place tonight, God, over their thoughts, Jesus. I, God, I pray protection over their, their hearts, God, and over their minds, God, over their mouths, Jesus. Let us be more aware of the words that come out of our mouth, Jesus. Let it not be death or fear, Lord God, or doubt, but let it be faith, God. Let it be life, Jesus. God, I pray for every relationship in this place, God. I pray that you keep every one of the marriages here together, Lord. God, we pray for strength, Jesus. We pray for peace, God. We pray for opportunities to open up, Father. We thank you, Lord, that this church is going to be a strong church, Lord, where we are united together, Lord, where we are willing to cut off some things, not caring what other people think, Jesus, not caring about what other people say, Lord, but only caring about what you want to do, Jesus, and your will, Lord God. So we praise you tonight, Lord, and I thank you for your presence. Jesus, in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you, God. Our mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at clcvictoria and download our app.